Well, if you do have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6. This morning's message comes from Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 43. It's the text that was read for us this morning in the scripture reading. So before we look at this, let us pray and seek God's grace. Father, we're so grateful and thankful that we are here this morning before you in your presence and we can open your word and we can seek to know you. And as you stir in our hearts by the Spirit and awaken our minds and allow us to see Jesus, we're transformed. So, O oh Lord, this morning, help us. Help us to see you. Help us to understand who you are. Help us to understand who we are. Father, we might become less and Jesus might become more. O oh Lord, we seek you this morning and we ask you to speak to us. Speak through me, your vessel. Help me in every way. Work through the words And may your spirit powerfully work in the hearts of us this morning so that we, your people, will be formed in the image of your Son. For we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, this particular passage this morning and the message that comes from it, I'm I'm excited about because I think that as we look at it and we see exactly what it's saying and the implications of it, Jesus is revealed, and I think the glorious message of the gospel shines forth, and it can really, I think, it has an incredible impact as we understand it. Because before us is a text that has paradoxes. It's not, it's not what it seems all the time on the surface of it. But when we see it in its fullness, and we understand what Jesus is trying to do here, what it is that he's after, and see how God is working through it, And God does give us eyes to see. It is a transforming truth that we realize. Because Jesus is constantly revealing the ways of his kingdom. In this whole section that we're in right now in this sermon, the sermon, as they say, Sermon on the Mount, as Jesus is proclaiming and declaring the ways of his kingdom, he's also seeking in in declaring it to warn the people. To guard them against the false teachers and the blind guides that are leading them. He, Jesus understands that he's stepping on to a landscape in which he has Pharisaical teachers, the scribes and the Sadducees and such, who are leaders in Israel. And you realize that these leaders in Israel are, try, are the ones that everybody esteems. They look up to. They follow. They listen to their words. They are the ones that everybody says, wow, these guys are the ones who know what God's word says, and you better listen. They have an incredible reputation in the community as being lifted up and highly exalted, and Jesus just keeps whacking at them. And he's trying to help these people understand, you do not follow these people, you do not listen to them, a word they say, because what they are is bad. And how do you know that? Well, they're bad to the bone, and let me explain to you. He goes on to show. A tree is known by its fruit. And so one of the things he's trying to say here, and help them to understand, on the one hand, is who these people are, and how can you tell who they are? He's helping them understand. You can tell who they are, and I'll show you how you can tell. On the other hand... He's saying something to us here today. Because the truth of what he's saying here has some incredible impact in how we take and what we take from it and how we apply it to our own lives. Because it's easy for us 
to when we read the scriptures to instantly, instantaneously make it applicable to us without first understanding the context or without understanding what Jesus is doing in the whole of the gospel. Because often he's messing with people. That's why it's paradoxical. Jesus, often people take him right on, on face value. And if you do that, he will mess with you. Because a lot of times what he's trying to get people to see and understand is the state of their own condition. Because until they understand the state of their true condition before God, there's, it's just no good. And so he will, he will let people go with, with saying something to, to them that isn't completely true. For example, the rich young ruler, right? Who comes to him. And Jesus knows the state of his heart. And he thinks that he's kept all God's commands, doesn't he? So does Jesus tell him, let me clearly out, lay out for you the ways of the gospel? No. He says, okay, you think you've kept it all? Okay, you, so you still have a really high view of yourself? Okay, so you're still there. Go sell everything you have and then come follow me. Give it to the poor. Now, was Jesus there declaring the way of salvation? by The way you're saved is by selling everything you have? Well, no, but that's, what he, that's kind of what he communicates. That if you're willing to sell everything you have and follow me, then you'll have eternal life. Jesus is messing with this guy. He's exposing his heart. And so I want you to sit on that for a while. Just ruminate there and just go away and think about what I just said. And you are going to see, and what I just did is allowed you to see, I love money, I love possessions, and I could not get rid of them. And Jesus says, okay, think about that one for a while. When you're ready, come back to me. And so Jesus here wants to help them understand the nature of things. So on the one hand, he wants to understand these blind guides who are trying to lead them and understand how you can discern them. On the other hand, he's, he, he's going to do something that's going to expose them, the audience he's listening to. That's why it's almost paradoxical how he does this. So he starts off and he says, for no good, in verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Now, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. That's pretty self-explanatory, isn't it? It's absolutely, can it get any more clear than that? You got a good tree, what does it produce? Good fruit. We all get that. Bad tree, bad fruit. And in case we we're actually don't understand, he goes on to add more clarity. It's super plain, but hey, let me, let's make it even plainer. He says, for each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes. Does it get any clearer than this? Let me help you. Figs, when was the last time you went to a thorn bush and gathered a fig? Never. We're all going, okay, you're following. Good, good. You, get, you understand that. Nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. And so... That's very plain and simple and clear. So he says, the good person of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And what comes out, because he says, out of the heart, of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what comes out of their mouth, what comes out of their life, will, will show you what's in their heart. So if what's coming out of their mouth does not line up with what they're saying or who they're saying they are, like in regard to the Pharisees, the things that they would say, watch the fruit. And you will find out about the root. You will notice that what the way these people live and the things that they do and the things that they say, they're contradictory. What, what they are are hypocrites. 
and you will see their hypocrisy. So he's saying, when you see their hypocrisy, believe the fruit, and it will tell you about the root. They're not good trees. They're not. However, the person sitting there listening to it, it also pierces them. There's two directions this is going in. It's super plain. It's super clear. Because it's instantly understood, right? When you hear this, what needs to be clarified? Good tree equals good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Apple trees don't produce oranges. Orange trees don't produce apples. He didn't say that, but that's the point, right? Clarity. Uber clarity. However, there's confusion at the same time because how we can take this. We can actually think we understand its meaning and completely misunderstand his point. We completely misunderstand his point. And why is that? Because, think about this. He, he's saying, he's, he's declaring a truth about reality. However, now, this is what we do. We think, oh, okay, so we, we examine the fruit of what comes out, and it declares to us the root. And so Jesus almost seems to be saying there are good people in the world, and there are bad people in the world. That's what he s- seems to be saying, right? In this world, you have good people and bad people. But then again, when we look at all of Scripture, it seems to say we scratch our head, but wait a second. So, you know, the smart scholar in the back raises his hand and say, but... I've read my Bible, and the Bible as a whole doesn't line it up as good people, bad people. It lines it up as bad people, good God. That's kind of how it fleshes it out. Especially, think for example, if we compare what Jesus says here, if he seems to be implying good people, bad people, listen to what he says in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no one who does good, no, not one. So if there's no one good, no, not one, and for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, well, it really tells us is that we really, in this world, and the people listening, it's like, the, the point is, um, not that we should look at ourselves and justify what we say and think of what we're doing and, and all this and try to, think, try to find some element of goodness in us. And then we say, oh, I'm of the good bunch. I'm of the good kind. And these people over here, they're of the bad kind. The moment we do that, we're not thinking biblically and we're missing the point of what Jesus is trying to do. He always wants to help people to see themselves for who they really are. And who are we really? We're not good. So if you read this and you think, oh yeah, I see good stuff coming out of my life, I'm the good one. Well, perhaps that's true because of what Jesus has done in you, but it's not true of who you are by nature. You're not good. So when we, here's the thing, because Romans chapter 3 is is then followed by Romans chapter 6. Because Romans 3, he brings all humanity, every person and everybody, and says, you know, we don't have good tree, bad tree. We have, uh, we have bad tree. And so then what Jesus does, he remedies that, and he saves, and he delivers. Then we have Romans 6, and he raises you to the, from the dead, and he places his spirit in you. And then through the spirit working in you, now fruit becomes to come out of you. So as we get to Romans 6 through 7 and 8 and following, we see that Christians, who've been take, God has taken them, transformed their hearts, they're bad trees, they're bramble bushes. 
They're thorn bushes. And he changes them, he works in them, places his spirit in them, and by his ministry and work in their hearts and lives produces fruit out of them. So then you have good fruit coming out of these people, and these people say, hey, no, I am not good, but the Lord is. I'm not a good bush. I'm not, I, I was a thorn bush. I was a bramble bush. And he turned me in to a, to a different kind of a bush, and now he's working in me and through me, and because of that, fruit's coming out of me. The wrong lesson to be learned if some people, this crowd is sitting there listening and they're starting to examine themselves based on their conduct before God and others. And they go, I'm a pretty good tree. They have totally missed the point. And Jesus, hopefully you see that what has come out of your mouth, what has come out of your life, and if he's examined carefully according to the word of God, do you know the conclusion Jesus wants us to come to? I'm not a good tree. That's what he wants people to eat. You've got to get there first. Because you're not, he doesn't want you to think, wow, okay, if you're a good tree, you produce good fruit. If you're a bad tree, bad fruit. Therefore, I must go try. I know what it means. He's, he's saying that I need to go work and, and produce good fruit. Wrong lesson. That's not what Jesus is wanting them to learn. Because this is what we're, we're prone to do as people, is hear that, and the people are prone to seek to try to strive to be good. So be, why? They want to be the good tree. So they want to produce good fruit. But it doesn't work that way. First of all, we have to understand we're the bad tree. And we produce bad fruit. And so we want to see that if, if there's two pictures here of good tree, good fruit, we need to line up with the bad Good, see, good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit. We want to line up with the bad tree, bad fruit. We need to see that that's who we are. But we don't. We have a tendency to always line up with the good. I read a, uh, on Facebook recently a post which read, Good people sometimes make bad decisions. They mess up and let others down. But that doesn't make them bad people. We all make mistakes. Really? Do you realize that most people think, view themselves like this? What do you think the person who believes that, when they hear Jesus say, a good tree, good fruit, bad tree, bad fruit, who are they lining up with? Which one are they lining up with? I'm a good tree. I, I was like, sure, sure, some stuff comes out every now and then. Sure, it's not all good. It's not all perfect. But we all make mistakes. You know, I'm a good person who makes mistakes. That's how we view ourselves. And so that particular person who's there... They need more. Jesus is fine with dialing it up. He's fine with cranking up standards and allowing people to say, okay, let's try this then. That still hasn't got you. Then try this. You still think you're a good tree? Okay, try this one on. Hmm, they still think they're a good tree. And he cranks it up. But because the Spirit has, has to give us eyes to see that we're not the good tree, we're the bad tree. That's the grace of God to allow us to see that because that's the starting point. Because just think for a second, watch what comes out of your mouth. Is, is what comes out of your mouth always pure, always edifying, always gracious and kind, always patient and truthful? Come on, folks, always? Is that the fruit that's pouring forth? We, we, we love to think so, don't we? But it's not. 
Hello, what does that mean? Jesus says, if it's a good tree, good fruit will come out. If it's a bad tree, bad fruit comes out. What is it? Well, I, I'm a mixed tree. I'm split right down the middle. Well, sometimes we, that's how it feels. That's our experience. But you know what? Jesus wants us to understand that it's not sometimes that that he's referring to. But this is the quality and nature of the tree. This is what comes out of it by nature. And so he wants a person to come to understand and really look at themselves and by the Spirit see who they are and then line up with the bad tree and realize this. Because as Jesus tells us in John 15, good fruit only comes as we abide in him. And he says he produces it through us. So the idea is that he's the vine, we're a branch, and from it hangs fruit. Pretty good picture, right? And he says that we're this branch, and he says this fruit comes from him. So all we do is we cling to Jesus, we look to Jesus, he grafts us into him, and as we cling to him and look to him, he produces in us and works out of us. I was a bad tree made good by Jesus, and from Jesus and through Jesus and in Jesus, he produces good out of me. He works in me by the Spirit. So we don't want to learn the wrong lesson from this. We don't want to be the person who strives to do good and proves to God that we really are a good tree. That would be the wrong lesson. Man, I need, okay, good. So, wow, I, look, I, see, I see not so good coming out of my life. So what I have to do is work on getting good so then I could line up a good tree. So then I, because if I could become good tree, then I, I have Jesus' approval according to this passage. No. You've got to understand that Jesus loves to do this. He loves to crank up the dial to help us to see and understand that within here is nothing good. In him is all the goodness. We see a similar lesson learned in the next one about building your house on the rock, the wise and the foolish builder. This lesson also makes sense, so much clarity on the surface of it. It's absolutely clear. There's no, there's no question as to what he's talking about. But we can mess up his meaning, the point he's driving. So what's so hard to understand? He says... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he's like, he says. What is he like? He's like a man who goes and builds his, um, he's like a man who, who building a house, who dug a deep and laid foundations on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house, and he could not shake it, because it was well built and well established. On the other hand, the one who hears his words and does not do them, is like a man who built a house on the ground with a, without a foundation, but basically built it on the sand, and the flood and the rain comes, and it just wipes it away. Oh, you fool, you should have thoroughly established your foundation. Well, here's the thing, though. If we think about it, if we have a thorough understanding of the Bible and all that it says, and all that Jesus has gotten on it, gotten, uh, has spoken towards in the Scriptures, if you look at the Gospels and all of its fullness, Jesus will often, again, push people toward a further obedience to, to prove and to show their disobedience to bring them to the place where they need to be. 
Because we can't hear these words and fundamentally just start to say, you know what, I am going to, okay, I want to be a wise person. So if you're sitting here this morning, you say, I want to be a, I'm going to be a wise person. So what does a wise person do? Well, they obey the words of Jesus, so I need to start following. I don't want to be one who just hears them. I want to be one who starts following them. And so if I follow them, and some of the words that he says, if I don't discern or understand what he's getting at, I start doing things that perhaps are not... Um, th- that, that are not drawing me closer to Jesus, but are going to actually further expose my unrighteousness. Because again, this is what we got to get back to. Jesus is always concerned about breaking, about bringing people to that place of repentance, of, of shattering their self-righteousness, and the thought that they are good enough for God. He's interested in that being torn down. Because that's, we have to understand all that Jesus says and put it all together. And if we understand and obey all that Jesus says, we would be wise. But if we just hear these words and misunderstand what's said here, we might be prone, and often we are, to go and to show God that we're wise. To start there. Like we're going we're to show God how wise we are, and we're going to start obeying the Lord and doing what he says. Well, that will come. But first of all, you've got to understand how it all unfolds, how it works in the life of a believer, how it works where where we work towards righteousness isn't by saying, wow, I need to really get going. It's first of all, understanding who we are apart from Christ. That's the fundamental. And why can we say that? Well, if if you look at Scripture, Jesus is fundamentally concerned with helping people to get this. And he shows who the blessed people are. In, in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, how many of you, you guys remember the story where Jesus talks about the Pharisee and the tax collector? Okay, this is where he describes what, um, that's, that particular story. And listen to it, and as you listen to it, answer, answer this question. Who does Jesus delight in and why? Okay, who does Jesus delight in and why? Chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I'm thankful that I'm not like the other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Oh, thank you. He's praising God. Give you thanks, O Lord. I am not like that scum of the earth. That I am not like these other unrighteous people. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of of all that I have. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast, saying, God, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That is the story that encapsulates Jesus' ministry. He did not come for the righteous, but for the unrighteous. 
But it can seem like Jesus, when we read, getting back to our story here, with the example of the house built on a rock, it's like those who do good and those who obey and those who, it seems like the righteous, right? Well, that's what he wants to say. Yes, the righteous. But it's a, what you have to realize, you have to come to the places. He's going to elevate this righteous standard and realize, I can't. I'm not. I, you got to get to the place where you realize and understand you're a tax collector. And you can't even so much as look up to heaven and you beat your breast and say, Oh God, I'm a loser. I'm a failure. I'm a sinner. I, man, please, oh God. Boy, that's a beautiful place. You know, Jesus, in, so much, in his ministry... That's why he will say harsh things. That's why he'll say words that bust and break. That's why he will raise standards and make it seem like, boy, oh boy, I really got to get it going on. I got to start obeying this. I got to start, you know, producing good fruit. I got to start making sure I obey all his words. And he's saying, yeah, because you have to be perfectly righteous to enter my kingdom. And I want you to understand that with all clarity. You have to be perfectly righteous to enter his kingdom perfectly righteous, without one ounce of unrighteousness. You can't have any flaw. You can't have any defect. You must do it very, very well. Okay? Do you understand? You don't. Keep trying. you got to keep going. Perfect. In, in, in perfection. You've got to be aim higher. Aim higher. I can't, Lord. Oh, Lord, please have mercy on me, a sinner. Oh, Now we're in a good place. Now you get it. That is hard. Hard for us to get. We are so full of ourselves. So full of ourselves. We are so desirous of God to come and say, Good boy, Dean. You're so good. Man, I love you. You I love. Wow. You blow my mind. You're so impressive. You're so, uh, you're just, you're so diligent. You're just so, what else can I say about you? Oh, can I kiss you? Boy, that, that would feel good, wouldn't it? That's what I want. Yeah. Tell me, God, could you just keep it coming? Don't you just love it when people praise you and say good things? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, you know. Oh, gee, no. <laughs> Not really. You know, that's what we love. We, we love to be praised and we love to be you know, lifted up and exalted. But the bad news is we're bad. We're not good. We're not a good tree. We're not a wise builder. We're absolutely moronic. We are fools to the core. We should read this and say, you know, the first thing, I'm not a good tree. I'm not a wise builder. I'm an idiot. Full on. Full on. Oh, that's a good place. That is a good place. Because that is the, where you need to be before Jesus lifts you up. And then he will produce good fruit in you. And you will become, he will make sure that you become a good tree producing fruit. He will make sure you, you've built your house on his foundation. And he will do a good work in you. Because we really have to get and understand. We have a hard time. We truly want to be, we want to be good in and of ourselves. Just me. Like, because I did it. I, I want that desperately. 
just think of how I'm going to read for you Romans chapter 3. I, I love this because it's really trying to, Paul is, is laying this out for help. You must understand this. You must understand what foreign righteousness is all about. Romans chapter 3, 19 through 24 puts it this way. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. And why is this? He answers the question. So that every mouth may be stopped. Stop your mouth. Stop it. And the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, hear this folks, by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. Did you hear that? No one. Not a one. There's no good tree. There's no wise builder. You're a fool and you're a bad tree. Since through the law, you know what's going to come? And know why Jesus heightens the law? And you know why he likes to bring it so often? Comes the knowledge of sin. But now, here's the good news. The righteousness of God. Did you hear that? The righteousness of God. God's own righteousness. How righteous is God? Perfectly righteous. In every way, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The law and the prophets were declaring it themselves. Cranking the standard. How you doing? Not so well. The righteousness of God, this is where this righteousness of God comes from, he says here now. Through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. And are justified only one way. By his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? Do you want to be righteous? Do you want to be as righteous as God, as holy as God? Do you want the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his goodness and all of his righteousness and all of his holiness? Do you want it on you? Do you want that? He says, here's only one way. Simply believe. It's a free gift. It's like having this, imagine this coat up here that was just pure and white, and I was holding it like this. Pure and white, and it represents the holiness of God, the righteousness of Jesus. And saying, this is for anybody here who wants it. You want it? Come and get it. You place it on, and you are as righteous as God. But you don't understand me. You don't understand what's going on in here. You don't know who I am. God says, oh, do I ever. Do I ever. I know what's in you more, better than you know what's in you. You're way worse than you even think you are. 
I have a hard time convincing you, as a matter of fact. But what I'm offering you is perfect righteousness apart from anything you've ever done. But, oh man, do not come to offer me anything except thanksgiving and praise and your whole life. Oh. You know, our sin, your sin, do you think it shocks God, surprises him? Sometimes I think that it does, but it, it doesn't. He knows you. But you know what? He knows that we have no goodness in ourselves. And he knows that we actually have a hard time believing this. We do. We have a hard time believing this. Because he knows we're addicted to proving ourselves. We're addicted to us being, having a sense of our own, our own righteousness. That we want the goodness to be our own, not his. We want to impress him. We want his adulation. Well done, boy. You're amazing. But what, what God wants us to realize is how sinful we really are, how bad our tree really is, how foolish we really are. He wants us to get there so that we come to the place where we see nothing good in ourselves. Then it's there. He wants us to give us his goodness. It's yours, free gift. It's the righteousness of God apart from the law through faith in Jesus Christ. You know what? If, if you get this, it's the most exciting and liberating truth you could ever imagine. Because we tend to resist it. We tend to resist God looking at us as holy and righteous and pure as Jesus himself. Why? Because I kind of know myself enough to know what I've thought or said or have done. It's like, yeah, you know, it's not that good, folks. But, you know, I'm trying. I'm working on it. I'm trying refinement. I'm trying, you know, trying a new, few new patterns, new tricks. My, my impatience is kind of, yeah, it's getting a little out of control. And whew. So I'm really trying. I've read a few books. I got some strategies. And I'm, I'm looking to get better. I really am. Try, I've tried hard. God knows I've tried. I'm sure he looks at my trying and says, you know, good trying, God. I like that trying. <laughs> Why do you keep trying? Just keep going. It's like, let's see how, is that all you got? You know, maybe a little bit more. Yeah, just one more chance, God. I'll show you. I, I'm going to show you next time. Next time, watch. I'm going to be kind to my wife. I'm going to get up. I'm not going to snap out like that, like I did last time. But this time, it would be much better. Okay. You go. Why am I such an idiot? Because God, you know, here's the, here's the amazing thing, and what I've noticed in my life, is that we often go through our lives constantly seeking to establish our own righteousness. What we try to do is we want to think, you know what, here's, here's the deal. Um, God, I am not, um, I haven't been that patient. But I think, you know, I really want to, 
I really think I can be patient. I've seen times where I've been very patient, and I'm going to be patient. You know, God has a tendency to bring events into my life and things in my life that push me over the edge to where I can't take it anymore, and he completely exposes my impatience. What happens? I become depressed because I see how impatient I can be. Or I think I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty self-controlled. I think I'm getting a grip on this whole self-control thing. And I kind of become proud about my self-control. And so I want to show God how, how self-controlled I am. And then he brings all kinds of things and events in my life that expose my lack of control, self-control. It pushes me right over the edge. And then I want so bad to be self-controlled that I go grab books about how to be self-controlled. And I learn tricks about self-control. And I try to bring myself under control so that God would be pleased with me. And he would see my self-control and say, see, you know, do you like that? And uh, aren't I doing good? Aren't I doing well? And I'm telling you, this is probably going to take our whole lives to get over ourselves. God constantly, even as Christians, do you realize as Christians, God does a work in our lives. We come to that place where we believe. And it usually isn't that long where we start trying to get on this performance goodness treadmill. We're like trying to be really good for God and really be that good tree and really be that one who obeys and really, really start to really impress God. It takes our whole life. He's just smashing our fingers to let go of, of control, let go of our own, our own righteousness. Because that's what we want is our own righteousness. We... And so we, we pursue it, and we go after it, and it can be like a Christian addiction. Because God has given us enough light. We've seen ourselves to know ourselves in a certain way. And if we see ourselves as unrighteous, and we know that we ought to be righteous, what do we want to do? We want to strive towards righteousness. Now, here's something we have to understand. There is a difference between somebody seeing their lack and then pursuing what they need to, and somebody seeing that their lack, going to Jesus, receiving the righteousness from him and the grace from him, and then giving their lives wholly and completely to him out of joy and thanksgiving, and from that, by the work of the Spirit, it, it works out in their life, and they desire now to do what is right. That's a, that's a different motivation. You desiring to do what is right, longing to serve, a desiring to, and you watch God and you submit and you surrender to Jesus all that you are. And you say, Lord, Jesus worked through me and he works through you and you see him working in you. You see him working through you. That causes you to rejoice in him and give thanks to him and brag about him and boast in him and delight in him. And forget yourself. But if you see your lack of righteousness, and we often do this, and what we see is, oh, man, I need to work on this. I need to work on my patience, my self-control, my kindness, my gentleness. Oh, man, all these fruits. I need to start getting them going on here. And it's not going on. I'm in trouble. i got to get it going on. And you start working on getting it going on, and you're diligently trying to apply this, and you find yourself failing all over the place. You're not filled with joy. You're not filled with gladness. You've got a burden that you can't even carry. Do you want your heart to be liberated? Do you want to be just set free? Then you've got to, first of all, first of all, you can't start applying Ephesians 4 through 6 until you get Ephesians 1 through 3. Do you, let me ask you a question, do you rejoice in, delight in, and know the righteousness of Christ because of nothing you've done? Is it like, yeah, I am incredibly thankful, I am incredibly joyful because, A, I know who I am. I've got that. I am a bad tree. I get it. I understand that. 
And two, I know that God gave me Christ's righteousness, his holiness, for nothing other than believing. So I am absolutely, completely righteous. And from that, wow, I'm liberated from the law's demands. I'm, I'm set free. I have joy. I have the fullness of God filling me. And from there, it's like, oh, man, out of thankfulness and out of joy, oh, my Lord, what would you like me to do? How do you want to use me? Work in me. Work through me. And so out of, as a gift of thankfulness and of joy, and, and it's like, man, I just want to serve and help and give because I can't believe what God has done for me. I can't believe how he's loved me. I just, I'm overwhelmed by this. This just blows my mind. I know who I am, and I know what he's done for me. And now it's like, wow. I just, I just want to love out of the fullness of love he's put in my heart. That is fundamentally different than so many Christians live. live. Would you agree? Absolutely. And so what ends up happening is we become good trees and we become wise builders who are connected to Jesus, trusting in Jesus, kind of John 15-like, Him working in us and through us and doing wonderful things around us. But you mess it up. You confuse how this works and your life will be confused and messed up and you'll be striving and you'll be seeking to impress God and build and gain your own righteousness. Have you been there? Because it takes a lot of work for God to continually convince you of yourself. And you realize if you're looking here, if you're looking here to see for a testimony and for a witness from God, am I yours? Do I, am I righteous? Do I belong to you? And you're looking at your fruit and you're trying to see what you're producing, what you're doing, you're in trouble. Because God, God wants to produce, give you his goodness, goodness and produce goodness in and through you by you resting and knowing what is yours in Christ. And from that, from a thankful, joyful heart, serve the Lord. Give your life completely and wholly to him. He's loved me to the uttermost, and I love him. I love him. And man, I love you. <laughs> I love everybody. Why? I don't know. God just, I, I saw God's love, and I understand his love. It filled my heart. I, I just, I'm excited to love. I love because he first loved me. But you better get that straight. Otherwise, we confuse the whole thing. Amen. Father, we're so very thankful. So very thankful that because of Jesus, we stand before you holy and completely righteous. Yeah, Father, I know my own heart. I know me. I know what I'm like. I know what I can think and what I can say and what I can do. I know. And so I'm so incredibly thankful thankful that I am righteous because of Jesus. What an incredible gift. Father, please, I beg for mercy now that everyone here would get this, would understand it, would truly know that they are holy, completely, fully righteous. The righteousness of Jesus is placed on them through faith. And that they would look at that and believe and understand and just be overwhelmed by that. It would literally overwhelm them. And flood them with joy in your fullness. And they would want nothing but to praise you. But to delight in you. But to love in return and to love others. Oh, Father. 
Grant us the eyes to see ourselves and to see Jesus and to understand Him in His fullness. Amen.